0: There is just a fun to this time of year. I don't know how many of you love to go around looking at lights, but um, just such a fun time to see lights and kind of experience that and enjoy walking. We have an amazing neighborhood kind of near the church here, and so just walking our neighborhood and doing that at night and driving around at night is just such a fun thing. But as you think about Christmas, there's also sort of a darkness that lurks around Christmas, right? You kind of set yourself up for this magical time of year and all the wonder and all the mystery And then somehow, some of that starts to unravel or tangle in some way, shape, or form. Uh, Think about sort of the dark side of the season. It shows up in overselling, right, Uh, where people just are desperate to get your attention and get your money. Overbuying, right, where you just go, why did I spend so much? I wasn't going to do that this year. Um, How about overscheduling? And if you look at your December calendar and just go, what was I thinking? And that leads to what? Overstressing, everything, right? So there's... A lot that can go right around this time of year. It really is potentially the most wonderful time of the year. It, there's a lot that can go wrong this time of year. So maybe fulfillment is found actually in Christmas. Not in the hype that surrounds Christmas, but in that sort of elusive true meaning of Christmas. The what part of Christmas is just part of the story. And there's plenty of things to cloud this. I was with my Five year old daughter yesterday in front of my house and we were looking kind of across the street at about a nine foot reindeer that was there and she confirmed it wasn't Rudolph. Why? Because it had a black nose, right? And so she knew it wasn't that one. So that led to a discussion of which one was her favorite reindeer of all. And she got talking about Prancer and she goes, it might be Dancer. And then she said, um, she goes, what's the other, is it cancer? I'm like, no, it's not. Uh, she really said that. True story. I said, that's not your favorite one. Trust me, it's not cancer. That's not your favorite one. Um, Cassie, a few years ago, our, our daughter, she was praying for Mary and Joseph. She was praying, God, would you please make them good, wise men? Uh, and then later on in her prayer, she was asking that Jesus be sure to find the star, because he needed to know where that was. So You know, kids have a way of kind of taking, you know, uh, what's going on around them and getting the Christmas story as a Christian parent. I want to instill at this time of year what we're really celebrating, what's really great about this time of year. Most adults can kind of figure out the Christmas story. They can kind of recite sort of the what of Christmas, but the why of Christmas often remains a mystery, even for many people who would attend church. So why did Jesus come? We just sang this song. How many kings would do the things that happened at Christmas? How many kings would do these things that we just sang in that song? And here's the answer. None except Jesus. Unlikeliest hero indeed. We read the Christmas story even today, and you just say, what are you doing? Why would you come that way? And so it becomes and remains a mystery. Here's the reality. Unless God tells us what he is like, we are in the dark. Unless God reveals that to us, we're utterly in the dark about it, as in clueless. Here's what God does. He doesn't just tell us about who he is. He shows up. The ultimate show and tell, right? The ultimate object lesson. Let me come, put God in a bod, and walk amongst you, and interact with you, and live with you. And go to weddings and go to funerals and walk on the way and eat meals together and just live life with you. That's what happens in Jesus Christ. By the way, let me get one big pardon me out of the way for all the coughing that's going to take place over the next few minutes, okay? The humble circumstances, the obscurity, the the reality is that most people missed the first Christmas, the real gift of Christmas, right? As you walk around your neighborhoods, look for Jesus. Look for signs of what Christmas is about. This is a home near us, and this kind of illustrates a little picture of our society. Here's their front yard, and kind of zoomed in and tucked in there, there's, there's baby Jesus, and there's Mary and Joseph, but you've got to kind of hunt for him through all the other glitz and glitter that's there. When you look at the life of Jesus found in the Gospels, you realize that Jesus said over and over and over again who he was and what he was doing. He said over and over again, I am God. Do you know that's ultimately what got him killed? What got him so in trouble with people was him claiming to be God. Not like God, not simply from God, but God. And if he's not that, that ought to fire people up because he's a misrepresentation. But if he's telling the truth, people ought to listen, and many of them didn't. He not only said that he was God, but he was on a mission And 39 times in the Gospel of John alone, he tells us his mission. Yet even those who were closest to him were in the dark much of the time. If you know the the story of Jesus, the life of Jesus portrayed in movies and all over the place, they often get the disciples pretty right. The disciples were often clueless about what was going on with Jesus, right? Right? Uh, There were so many times where Jesus had to correct them, and they had front row seats to all these signs that were being produced and lived out right in front of them. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4 for a moment. In Matthew chapter 4, we see a picture of Jesus kind of at the start of his ministry. Matthew spends the first three chapters of, of his gospel accounting for the lineage of Jesus. He talks about the birth of John the Baptist, who would be one who, kind of like this runner here, he would prepare the way for the Lamb of God. And finally, we get to the start of Jesus' ministry. Matthew chapter 4, verse 13 says this. And leaving Nazareth, he, talking about Jesus, went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And here's the prophecy. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Very specific location. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Writing to a primarily Jewish audience for three chapters, setting up some very important information like lineage, and now rolling out the details of where Jesus lived and began his ministry, these were vastly important details that are a little bit lost on us, partly due to time, partly because we're not Jewish people probably who studied the Old Testament looking to see who would the Messiah be, who would this promised Savior be. These were the key bits of information that gave utter notice to say, this is the one who was promised. This is the one we've been waiting for, longing for, praying for. He's here. It's Jesus Christ. The answer of why Jesus came, what his mission was, was this. There was darkness in the land. Do you see it in the scriptures? He came because there was darkness and the true light was needed. Look at it here in in Matthew 4. They were dwelling in darkness in the region and shadow of death. If you think about the Israelite people, darkness wasn't lost on this family tree. When you go just back in their history, it's wrought with slavery, with ill treatment, with wandering, And the like. And that's not lost on us either. Think about the darkness that we experience. How about relational darkness? Relational darkness is just that struggle to get along. I really love these people, I want to be near them, but I can't stand them, right? I struggle to get along with them. Even when it's really, really good in relationships, you know what darkness looms? Death, sickness, things that happen in a fallen world that separation that fear that it's finally good we're we're kind of in this great season and many many people live under the anxiety of the what ifs and and things that go really really wrong in relationships how about physical darkness many in our church today live with pain live with health issues that are absolutely confusing and confounding even the best doctors. There's also the threat of physical safety. We live in a world that increasingly just has news report after news report, and and we live in a crazy state. California makes the news more than most of the other 50 states. So that physical threat, that physical comfort is, is there and looming around us. When you turn to spiritual, you see that spiritual darkness is an epidemic. It's unclear to me how people cannot grasp that we're just we are just, we're just born spiritually dark. No one teaches their kids to sin, and yet kids are experts at sinning. You know what happens when they get old and turn into adults? They've got years of experience at it. And now there's layers of cover-up. There's layers of, of being able to scheme and, and make it look one way, but really have another thing going on. When you look at the... Israelites, what you realize is this, that more religion and more ritual isn't going to fix this. Even to this day, the Jews are famous for their devout practice. As Christians, we understand the same message, that, that more religion, more ritual, isn't what changes darkness born in us, found in our relationships, in our physical world, That's not what rescues us out of that. Proverbs says it this way. The way of the wicked is like a deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. For those who have eyes to see it, all this darkness is like a giant neon flashing sign that points to this truth. We need a savior. You need a Savior. San Jose, Santa Clara County needs a Savior. This country in this world desperately needs a Savior. Enter hope. Look at verse 16. On them, a light has dawned. A great light, a true light has dawned. The story of Jesus coming is that angels... Bow low and enter into the story because God's entering the story. All of creation seems to be resounding with this. Stand up and take notice. Messiah, the Savior, is here. This is the turning point in history. Matthew one twenty three says this, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. There's this prediction that says when the Messiah comes, there's going to be this nickname attached to him where people are just breathing out. God is with us. Jesus is here. Why did Jesus come to earth? Why do we celebrate? Answer, because he loves us. You and I could never approach the unapproachable light of God and so you know what God did? He sent his son and he approached us. That's what Christians believe. The world was and is a dark place. It's under the curse of sin. All of this is found in our Christmas carols. Light dawning is our only hope. There's sort of a nature to light and dark that play out this drama every single night. I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. You know, each 24 hours, there's a cycle that happens, and part of that time finds us in utter darkness. And the cold and loneliness of night is something that can be felt. Something else about the night is this, that under cover of darkness, there's a certain flavor of sin that tends to only come out at night. Have you noticed that? And no one on the planet is immune to this. And then every 24-hour cycle after being in the dark, then comes the light. The sun rising each day starts really small. It's barely noticed But eventually, it's missed by no one. Every single person sees it and is aware of it. And when the sun comes, it doesn't just bring light, but it brings warmth. It illuminates so that we can see clearly, but also carries a certain hope with it. You ever feel the hope of kind of a new day, the dawning of a new day? You have to be careful what you put in your notes and what you're planning on preaching, because evidently God thought I needed to see the sunrise this morning. Um, I didn't plan on it. I was totally prepared. I had my alarm set for after sunrise. I witnessed an amazing sunrise this morning. And as I observed and was paying attention to what I just said and what was ruminating in my mind, I just got to watch things illuminate slowly and gradually. I was looking for it. I was looking for the sunrise. Most people miss that. John chapter 1 Verse 9 says this, The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Why would someone not receive the light? Why would you... Coil from the light. The Bible gives us a few clues. Some simply love the darkness. But you know, there's others who are convinced they have all the light they need. Thank you very much. I've got my own light. I'm doing great. What does Proverbs say? Sin and wickedness is a deep darkness. It's so deep and dark, they don't even know what they're stumbling over. Part of what people are stumbling over is the wrong source of light, thinking they're in the light when they're not in the light. Follow the star to the place unexpected. Could it really be that there's light for me in a manger? Could it really be that there's light for me in a in a man who would grow up in relative obscurity, last few years of his life, undoubtedly change history, but then die on a cross and supposedly rise again? Is that where light really is found? That's what people wrestle with, and it's a good question. Look at verse 12 of John 1. His own did not receive him, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It goes on to say in verse 13, children born of God. The Bible shows us who God is. It's a story of a loving father sending his son Jesus to enter into our darkness. Here's a question for you. What motivates God, the sun, to leave the light and move toward darkness? Isn't it love? That's what it is. Plain and simple, when you boil it down, that's the motivation for the sun moving toward the darkness. Without light, there's no hope. What could be more like Jesus than moving toward dark neighborhoods, moving into the darkness of other people For the simple motivation of love, of bringing them the true light. I think this is true. You only do this if you're convinced that Jesus brings real hope. You don't move towards other people's darkness if you're not utterly convinced Jesus brings real hope. You only do this if you possess the spirit of Jesus. For a season around Christmas, you might give a little spare change to that red kettle, the guy ringing the bell just so he'll stop maybe. You might be able to find in your heart to do some different things, but you don't really move into the darkness. You don't really move toward the darkness of other people unless you're utterly convinced and have the Spirit of God in you. Finally, you only do this if you're absolutely sure that light overpowers the darkness. It's scary moving towards people's darkness. It's scary to move into dark neighborhoods and dark places and dark topics and dark conversations. But if you're convinced that greater is he who is in you, Christian, than he who's ruling over this world, you know what you do? You walk forward, confident not in yourself, but confident that light always overpowers the darkness. I asked a friend of mine, a friend of many of you, um, to make the effort to come down from San Francisco today to share with us a couple of stories Josh Barrow is a guy that, come on up, Josh, graduated from Santa Teresa High School several years back. And, you know, he was just kind of cruising through life, and God really grabbed a hold of Josh's heart and life and mind in a pretty significant way not long ago. And he just yielded himself. He did what Christians do, which is you submit. You submit to what God is telling you to do. And pretty soon, because of the true light that was in Josh, Josh was drawn toward the darkness. Now, to many college kids, you think, oh, there's a lot of darkness in college campuses and in college life and living for sensual pleasure and doing whatever you want because they're out from under their parents. It wasn't that kind of thing at all. Josh was drawn toward the darkness because of the true light and because he wanted to bring light to that place. If you were to try to sort of quantify dark neighborhoods in the U.S., I think Josh lives in one of the darkest neighborhoods in the United States, in the Tenderloin district of San Francisco, what I asked Josh to do is this: I asked him a while ago. I said, "Would you just share with us a couple of stories of what God has been doing in you and in bringing light to a dark place?" So, Josh, share with us.
1: Yeah. So, Dave just asked me to share a few stories, just about what's going on in the Tenderloin, and. He asked me earlier this week, but I've been so busy this week that I just I didn't have time to like plan anything out. So I just want to share from uh, what happened this week because um, that's all I can really think about right now. <laughs> but I haven't had too much sleep, you know. God's doing awesome things, you know. The, the light that's in me—it's not like—it's it's not like it was, you know, manifested by anything I did. I had to fall to see that there was a light. God's just doing awesome things with that. I'll just share about Patrick. He lives in the Sunnyside on 6th Street in the Tenderloin. It's just, it's just right outside the Tenderloin, about five minutes out. This Thursday was the first time I, I'd been there to see him, but I've been starting to go to the Sunnyside like twice a week, Thursdays and Sundays, just to pass out meals. I went with my friend Garrett, and we only had about six meals, I think, just because we were going to a bunch of different buildings, just to see single residents and establish those relationships rather than Passing out food to everybody. So we went straight to the third floor. I think God just like planned that out because the first door we knocked on, the guy was like really receptive. He's like, I haven't been to church in years, but I've been wanting to come back and I was just waiting for like the right time. His name was Mario. Well, we prayed with him and it was just really good. We gave him like a flyer and he said he'll, he'll come to our service, which for like the first time knocking on somebody's door, they usually just like take the food and that's about it. <laughs> They're just like, oh, thanks for the food, you know. Yeah, the first time, so it was was pretty cool. We went two doors down to Patrick, and he was really receptive, kind of like quiet. His room was like, like a little, a little torn up, you know. He's he's been there for a while, and he had a guitar in the corner. I, I just to start conversation, I asked about the guitar. And he he said, yeah, I play. After like a, a few jokes of like, he's like, no, I don't play, and like this weird stuff. He's like messing with us the whole time. It was good. Uh, but yeah, he he just plays like these amazing pieces that he's done, like transposing Chopin and stuff like that. Uh, he just yeah, he he wanted me to like help him record. Yeah, I'll definitely do that. So I'll be going back this next Thursday just to see him again and pour into his life because he, he says his wife is atheist and. He just struggles to like believe any of it. It's one way I'm connecting that like, God definitely just like put that in my life because I, I love music and I love recording. That's something I'm really interested like right now, too, in learning about. He made that connection like available to me, and I'm just going next Thursday to help him out. I don't know what it's going to look like, but it'll be a good experience. A second story, a little background. City Impact has a school, K-8 school, if uh, some of you know about that. But it's all through donations and a sponsorship so kind of like a compassion or world vision scenario where people do like monthly sponsors of 38 dollars um, 48 dollars something like that but it takes 13 sponsors of that for each kid so we have about 150 kids now which is a huge increase i think three years ago there was like 20 or something it's grown a lot i have a discipleship group There's just about five of us. We meet every Thursday at 1230, and we just pray, talk about our heart issues, whatever's going on, and we wanted to do something special for one of these kids, so we picked out this guy Aaron. He's on the basketball team for his family, so we we just pitched in like $40 each. We went to their house and blessed them with presents because he has a pretty big family. He has six brothers and one sister and then a single mom, so she's raising all of them by herself, and they live in kind of a smaller house, So it's like two bedrooms. One of the bedrooms just has like all bunk beds in it and like all the kids live in there. And yeah, the majority of them are under 10 years old. So six, three, eight. But yeah, we just went there and we we brought like scooters, bikes, helmets. We tried to get as much as we could, you know, for them. And um, it was just an amazing experience. (laughs) There's the youngest, we brought them like pizza too, right? So four pizzas and then salad and all that. Just went went to town. The the youngest, uh, Asaias, he's three years old. He screams, pizza! And everybody just like, after that, that was kind of like the sounding alarm, you know? And everybody just went like, <laughs> nuts. <laughs> we were in the living room, wrestling, horseback riding, spinning the kids around. And it was a really cool way to spread God's love. Because they didn't have any presents under the tree before we got there. I think it, yeah, it really touched their lives in a cool way. I mean, that was Friday, so... It's been a full week. <laughs> That's what I'm going to share today.
0: Hey, would you guys thank Josh?
1: <laughs> Thanks, guys. You know,
0: something I love about that is um, he and I met before services today, and I said, Josh, tell me what you're going to share. Tell me the stories. And he said, well, I was going to share one from Thursday and one from Friday. <laughs> it's like he's reaching back a month, two months, six months, nine years. This is from Thursday and from Friday. So Josh moves into the Tenderloin District last year, does a nine-month internship, comes home for the summer, and is kind of shell-shocked at living back in suburban San Jose where he grew up and chooses to go back for a second year and now is studying the Bible and, and has a pretty rigorous study course, but then is doing these different things and I loved how those two stories brought out something really, really simple. I said, you know, Josh, you're, you're studying and learning a lot about God. He gets to have a lot of spiritual conversations. But did you notice those two stories did something really, really simple? He's into music. He's into recording. And God used that to open the door and just bring kind of light. He was sharing that Patrick was kind of down until they started talking music. And just some light started to come into the room. He brings presents for kids who have nothing under the tree and pizza and salad for kids who don't often get to do that. How simple is that, right? Who can do that? Anyone can do that. Here's the truth of the matter. You, too, are dwelling in darkness. You're living in neighborhoods that are under the shadow of death. It's interesting, when you go live in the Tenderloin District, I've never done it. But when you come back from a place like that, being immersed in that kind of a place, you begin to look around and realize, you know what? The spiritual darkness is just there. We can put on fancy clothes. We have cars that are much better maintained. We have yards that are far better maintained. We still live under the curse. We still live in very, very dark neighborhoods. This isn't isolated to sections of the city. John chapter 8 gives us hope. As Christians, we fear no evil. Emmanuel, God is with us. Jesus turned on the light for us and said it this way I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Not only built into the created order is this living metaphor that we get to see every single day if we're paying attention. The sun will always set, the sun will always rise. But there's something else built into the created order, and that is this. There's no dark switch, right? A light switch is there. Why? Because light always overpowers the darkness. You can't have dark come and flood a light room. That's not how it works. God is teaching us. God is showing us the path. All of us are in the dark in this life. Here's a, a, for instance, five-year-olds don't know how to be in the street without getting seriously hurt or dying. And so God gives five-year-olds parents. Yesterday, I was doing what a lot of suburbanites do. It's a sport called shove stuff in your garage until it's absolutely overflowing and you're frustrated and you can't walk through it, and then spend an entire Saturday cleaning it out. Anyone else play that sport? Yeah, that's right. In the midst of cleaning the garage, a hockey game broke out (laughs) because we got bored of cleaning the garage. So I'm in the front yard with... My son, Eli, and he's five, and the puck goes into the street, and here's what Eli did. The puck was right there, and he was trying to reach for it with a stick. And then he went like this. He took one tiny step in to get the puck. And I stopped him. I said, hey, buddy, what's wrong? I'm not allowed to go in the street. I said, yeah, and even one step, that, that's in the street. I said, now, because your dad is here, if you really want to get that puck, what should you say to Dad? And he looks up at me with two giant brown eyes, utterly convinced of his answer, and he said, with all the conviction in the world, he goes, hockey. (laughs) (laughs) And in that moment, I thought, huh, isn't it interesting that a little bit like five-year-olds, you and I are in this world and unaware of many, many dangers. We can be utterly convinced of our answer and having it be the right thing. We can be totally focused on something that's really immediate and not see the bigger picture. We're certainly unaware of the dangers that lurk in this life unless we have a father that's warning us. Isn't it good that I was there with my son? Yeah, it's good that God is with us. He doesn't leave us alone. We're five-year-olds. He's talking to us. He's teaching us. He's protecting us. He's letting us have a leash to learn from and grow from, to build dependence and to build confidence in him. As oblivious as we are to danger, the scriptures shout to us warning if we have ears to hear. Listen to Ephesians 5 and see if this doesn't speak into our culture. For you may be sure of this, That everyone who is sexually immoral, or impure, or is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Being deceived with empty words is being in the dark about matters. For because of these things, the wrath of God Comes upon the sons of disobedience. goes on to say this: therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Here's the command for us. Here's the loving thing that we ought to just walk in obedience. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right. And true. This morning, whether you come to church every single Sunday of the year and wouldn't miss it, or you're here for the first time uh, all year, I would ask you about yourself. What about you? You know what this scripture does? It kind of turns the spotlight on each one of us, doesn't it? If you have ears to hear, you kind of, you kind of feel the penetration of light shining on you. You see that it doesn't just say we were in the darkness. What does it say? We were darkness doesn't just say that you step into the light. You become light. Coming to God has sort of a warm and fuzzy side, doesn't it? You're drawn out of the cold and into the warmth. You become a part of God's family. But coming to God also has a shiver up your spine. That was close. Hard truth component to it. We've come out of the dark and into the light. Both of these are true because God is both love and God is wrath. It's not just that we have a heart that needs healing. That's true, and God does that. That's the warm and fuzzy. It's also true that we have a sentence that needs to be repealed, that needs to be dealt with. And God deals with the justice and the injustice of sin. And so that's a part of the story as well. From the moment Jesus entered the world to give the true light, he's been giving it to everyone everywhere, just like the sun came up and it's, it's shining on everyone. And from that first moment, only some receive it. How does God announce this? We just sang it, star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, Guide us to thy perfect light. Friend, is this the year that a personal dawning of a great light will rescue you from darkness? This could be the year. This could be the day. Many believe that we must clean up our mess and live right before we come to God. We've already seen light and darkness don't work this way. What does darkness do to change itself from being dark? Nothing. It has to be invaded by an outside source. It has to be changed by the light. The opposite is true, that we don't come and clean up our messed up lives. The truth is this, until we admit that we are in the darkness, and catch this, that we are darkness, we have no need for the true light of Jesus. That make sense? Until you admit that you are darkness and I need to receive the light, you have no use for the true light. Even though it shines and gives light to everyone, you won't receive it. John 1.12, one more time, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If this morning this is you, you've not yet received the true light of Jesus, I want to invite you to take an action today to receive what can only be given and be made a child of God by his authority. If you've never stepped into the light, today's your day. Jesus puts this invitation out to all of us to not only join the family, but also to join the ranks of those who are saved from the certain wrath of God, the judgment of God that is coming on all people for their sin. I want you to listen carefully to probably one of the most famous passages in the Scripture. But unless we go on and read, we miss a more rounded out picture of who Jesus is. Listen to John 3.16 and the verses following it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish... And the people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? I'm going to ask you to do something bold this morning. If for the first time you want to respond to the offer that's being given at Christmas time and every day of the year. That you would transform from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light by a simple profession of belief. By simply receiving Who Jesus is and what he did. Here's what I want you to do. If that's you this morning, that you want to say, Yes, I respond to this, Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. You may not know all that that means, but you know enough to say, I've been living in the darkness. Today, I turn. Today, I receive. I'm done trying to make darkness light. It doesn't work. And I'm convinced today it never will work. That's you this morning. Everyone's head is bowed. Every eye is closed. I want you to stand up to your feet right where you are. I'm not going to have you come forward, but I just want to pray for you. I will probably be the only one in the room seeing you in this moment aside from obviously God. But if that's you, I want you to stand up to your feet right now and say, that's me. I receive the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I receive the gift that He's given to me. God, in this moment, spirit you know every single person's situation that they're living in right now the outside may look bland and mediocre or shiny and spectacular but God you know the heart the word cuts to the heart God for those who've made a decision of faith this morning I praise you thank you for that God, you've born in them by your authority. You've made them children of God. Can we just celebrate that this morning, God. What an amazing morning. God, for others who right now feel the tug, I don't want to let go of my flesh. I don't want to let go of my old life. God, I pray that you would overpower that. I pray that today would be the day of decision. A boldness that says there's nothing for me in the old life. I've tried that. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I receive you. You are the Lord. I just now acknowledge that you're the Lord. You have my life. Here's my all. Here's who I am. I surrender. Jesus, thank you for the reality, the spiritual power, the reality that comes from us Doing what Jesus said at the start of his ministry. Repent. Why? Because God is with us. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Praise you. You may be seated.